Thank you very much, Anita. Last week I had mentioned and asked you to pray for me as I went beyond our own area to respond to a pastor who has drifted from God and be involved with relating to a church board and his wife. And I appreciate your prayers. The meeting, hear me out on this, the meeting went well as far as responses of people and so on. The pastor was there. He made it very clear at that point in time that he was not repentant. He wanted to pursue some things that he was still pursuing. And some interaction that I've had with him in the last few days, I do see a beginning of a breakening, a softening, of maybe moving towards repentance. So continue to pray for me and my interaction with him, his wife, along some interaction that I'll have with the board along the way. We pray, we strive to be faithful, we let God work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and are standing before you because of Christ and what he has done as was sung just a few moments ago. And it's our desire to be responsive to you as your children, hearing your word, living in light of your word, bringing glory to you. Our desire to be responsive. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Behind me, you will see a string if you're able to see it. should be a little different color, but uh, it isn't. A string going from one side of the church to the other. We're going to allow that string to represent on the my right, your left, represent creation. On the other side of the church, we're going to let that represent when the eternal state begins. We live at a very, very small point in time in the present. And I'm not sure how much time is coming after today, but we're going to let that little paperclip there represent the present, the 60, the 70 years that we may live. We're going to be discussing a passage from 1 Peter. We're going to have another little paperclip that we're going to hang here. And this paperclip represents the time that Peter's hearers lived. Being separated by almost 2,000 years. Do we live merely in the present? Did Peter's hearers only live in their present? Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers... Love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 
for all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now keep in mind that Peter, as he writes, as other writers do, that scripture often talks about the foundation, I call it the foundation, the nature of our new life in Christ. And in light of the foundation, the nature of the new life in Christ, then the writers of Scripture go on to the building, the do, live accordingly in light of who you are in Christ. And that's happening in Peter. And in verse 22, he says, now that you have purified yourselves, at a point in time in the past, People to whom Peter is writing, writing would have come to faith in Christ. They would have obeyed the truth. They would have been purified. And in light of that, he says, you have a sincere love for your brothers. And the love here is a Greek word that is talking about a family type of love. You purified yourself by obeying the truth. So you have a family love for one another. And then he says, love one another deeply. That's a different Greek word, agape. Talking about just giving unconditionally to others, love one another deeply from the heart. And then he says in verse 23, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The word for implies reason. What is the reason God's elect are to love one another deeply? The answer is found in verses 23 through 25. And in those verses, he says, for you've been born again. Peter mentions born again, and then explains that they've been born again with a seed that is living and enduring. And he's appealing to the nature of God's elect. Having been born again, mentioned here, is the same Greek word as the new birth mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 3. The tense is passive, which means that Peter's hearers didn't do something to have the new birth. God worked in their life. It wasn't a work of their own. Born again means to bring forth again, to regenerate. Peter's concept of a new birth includes entrance into a new order of existence. Combining within that of divine parentage, men enter the new life as children of its author. Thus, for Peter, God is not father by virtue of his role as creator, but rather because of 
his work in their life of giving them the new birth. For you've been born again. He says, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. The idea of perishable is corrupt, it spoils, it ruins, it decays. Incorruptible, undying, enduring. And he says, you've been born again of that which is imperishable. A critical question arises. How does having been born from imperishable seed imply the command to love one another? What is the logic of this claim? The new birth generates spiritual birth from imperishable seed, the word of God. This is in contrast with the quality of life that comes from perishable seed, human procreation, whose glory at its best is like the fragile, temporary flower of the field, as Peter mentions when he quotes from Isaiah. The life of the believer has been generated by the imperishable divine seed of God's word that is living and active. The love commanded in 122 is the result of obeying the truth responding positively to the gospel and is made possible by the spiritual energy of the new life that God has generated by his eternal word. The Christian's decision to obey the truth by coming to faith in Christ is a manifestation of one's rebirth as a child of God. So Peter instructs, love, because you have a new birth that is due to the living, enduring word of God, living, involving, possessed of vitality, exercises the function of life. The word of God gives life. It's enduring to stay, to continue, to remain, continue unchanged. The word of God that is used here, is it a term that we often think of the Bible, the completed Bible that we have today? But as Peter speaks, he would not have been referring to the completed Bible we have today because there was no completed Bible at that time. Peter is not referring to generally what we think of a completed Bible like we hold in our hands. There was no Bible. But verses 24 and 25 do bring out what Peter had in mind. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now he's quoting from Isaiah. So in our timeline, he is going back some 600 years. Quoting from 
what Isaiah had to say. So now we have Isaiah speaking, Peter referring back to Isaiah, but we're reading it today. We're dealing with a span of well over 2,000 years. Peter says, through the living and enduring word of God, the permanence and quality of new life given by God is contrasted with mere mortal life, invoking a quote from Isaiah. The conjunction for is used to validate the preceding, preceding statement. Peter's logic here is the new birth given by God to those who enter the new covenant of Christ's blood in faith is conceived from the imperishable seed of God's word, which generates eternal life. And then he refers back to Isaiah. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And as we think about Isaiah chapter 40, let's keep a couple thoughts in mind. Isaiah was writing during a time period when the Israelites would have been in captivity in Babylon, going through a difficult time. And Isaiah contains judgment, but it also contains, beyond judgment, encouragement that God is still at work. Let's pick up with Isaiah 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort for my peoples, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin is being paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight. In the wilderness, a highway for our God. Each valley will be raised up. Each mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. 
The prophet Isaiah is talking about the Babylonian captivity. Babylon was a very powerful empire, a superpower, you might say, in that day. Judah has gone into captivity. But Isaiah is encouraging them. Notice what Isaiah mentions in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, is indicative of a covenant. And God had made a covenant with Israel through Abraham many years earlier. So we go back in time beyond Isaiah to Abraham's time. And Isaiah is appealing back to the covenant made with Abraham, the covenant made later with Moses. So we have a great span of time here. Peter appeals to Isaiah. Isaiah appeals to the covenant. Comfort my people, comfort my people. And we're living on the other end of the spectrum, so to speak. So here we have Israel in captivity. Under the threat, under the rule, we'll say, of a superpower. And notice what the Lord says in verse 3, the, towards the end of the verse. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. For the ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. He's writing to people in captivity. They've been promised deliverance. And Isaiah is saying, it's going to happen. Even if the valley has to be raised or a mountain and a hill be made low. But yet they're in captivity. Do we have any hope in captivity? Isaiah goes on in verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flower of the field. Think about Isaiah speaking this, Judah hearing this. They're being dominated by a superpower. All men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Superpower Babylon. All men are like grass. Their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because God is at work. Peter is looking back, quotes from Isaiah. And as Peter quotes from Isaiah, keep in mind that the people to whom Peter is writing live in the Roman Empire, which was not a fly-by-night empire. And because of their faith in Christ, not coming from the government just because of their faith in Christ living day by day, 
They're going through difficulty. And Peter appeals to Isaiah, similar circumstances. People in Isaiah's day going through persecution in the sense that they're in captivity. In Peter's day, they're being persecuted. They're living as strangers in this world. Their neighbors, co-workers, and so on are giving them a hard time. And Peter says, remember what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, all men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. In essence, Peter is saying, we're dealing with something bigger than people here. We're dealing with the living and enduring word of God. Babylonian kingdom comes. The Roman kingdom comes. But all men are like grass. And their glory is like the flower of the field. They don't last. And then Peter says, this is the word that was preached to you. Something more going on. An encouragement to Peter's hearers as he quotes from Isaiah. Now in light of what we share to this point, we're dealing with the word of God that is living. It's imperishable. Perishable is corruptible. It spoils. It ties in with human procreation, human need, temporary. The imperishable is incorruptible. Dealing with the spiritual life, the word of God, that is eternal. Peter's hearers are living in the Roman Empire. Just a speck in contrast to the span of time. Peter says, I'm appealing to Isaiah. Isaiah says, I'm appealing to Moses, Abraham. Hearers, I want you to understand that you've been born again through the living and enduring Word of God that spans thousands of years. And in light of Peter and Isaiah, we go back to God making a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. We come down to Israel when they're in Babylon. Word of God, God's promises. We come to Peter's hearers, the word of God. We come to the day and age in which we live, the word of God, God's promises. God's working with people, his promises being a reality. Now let's draw some conclusions The life given by God is permanent, standing in contrast to mere mortal life. The new birth given to Peter's hearers, given to us today, we enter into a new covenant of Christ's blood in faith that is conceived from the imperishable word of God that stands in contrast to perishable seed. 
It stands in contrast to life generated by those who lived in the Roman Empire because their life was temporary. It was going to pass. The abiding word of God to which Isaiah speaks is the very word that has been preached to Peter's hearers. The promise to Isaiah goes beyond them. It goes beyond Isaiah. It ties in with Peter's hearers and would tie in with us today. It is tied in with the glories of Christ, which are yet to come. The effectiveness of the eternal word of the Lord is contrasted with the glory of humanity. A glory impressive in the imperial age of Rome, one of the greatest empires the world has ever known. Even so, the greatest glories of humanity quickly fade in contrast and in comparison with the eternal glories achieved by Christ's suffering. If Peter's hearers were facing a choice of loyalties, Peter shows them the even greater majesty of God's powerful word, which creates the eternal reality into which they have been reborn. He appeals to Scripture to teach them that despite circumstances causing their suffering, they are nevertheless participating in the eternal plan of God. Now, I want to stop a moment. We're living in the present, a very blink of time in contrast to the greater view of history. We go through trials as believers. Our country is going through difficulty. Christianity does not have the same status that it did at one time. But can we live in light of the fact that we're tied in with Abraham and Moses? We're tied in with Isaiah, what Peter spoke some 2,000 years ago. We're dealing with the living and enduring Word of God. Peter's hearers and us today are taught There's a worldwide theophany of the Lord, of Yahweh. God's eschatological redemption plan involves Christ. According to Mark 1, 1 through 3, as he quotes Isaiah 40, to hurl Jesus and identify him as the Savior. God is at work. Both Israel and Peter's hearers are facing similar circumstances. Israel was in captivity in a foreign country. Peter's hearers are facing persecution in a foreign country, earth. Their citizenship was in heaven. Thus they were strangers. Both are in exile. And Peter is saying to them, stand firm on the eternal, not the temporary of time. Stand firm on the eternal living word of God. That's why Peter appeals 
back to Isaiah, going through similar trials. In Isaiah, descendants of Abraham and Jacob need not fear God will forget his promises to their ancestors. Those in Peter's day, new to a covenant relationship with God in Christ, need to hear the same reassurance. Peter says to his hearers, God didn't forget his promise, his enduring word to Israel, and he's not going to forget it to you in the the present. The basis of this promised comfort and confidence in Isaiah 40 is because the Lord has spoken The same enduring word of the Lord is spoken again by Peter to first century Christians. And let's project ourselves down the road beyond our present 20 years or 30 years or 40 years if the Lord tarries. As I stated already, and you can read all kinds of writers, will say that Christianity, as we know it today, is falling into the background. It's no longer the primary worldview in America. And that probably will result in some increasing difficulties because Christianity, as we call it, is not a, going to be a dominant worldview. There's other worldviews coming along. And in the midst of that... We throw up our hands sometimes. We listen to the news, too much of it many times, and say, what in the world is happening in our country? What is happening in our lives? And Peter would say, stop. You've been born again of the living, enduring Word of God. And Peter says, I'm appealing to Isaiah. And Isaiah says, I'm appealing to Abraham. I'm appealing to Moses. We're dealing with something that goes on. Year after year after year. Not taking God by surprise. There's a birth. A new birth. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Worldviews come and they go. But we're born again of the living and enduring word of God. The power of God's word is contrasted. with the powerless nature of idols, and the nation is called to remember the the incomparable nature of God to whom they had a relationship and how he worked through the centuries. Idols tied in with Isaiah's day, with Moses' day, and in Peter's day. Be faithful. This too shall pass. But the word of the Lord stands forever. The believers in Asia Minor needed to hear of the power of their God. We need to hear that today too. Listen as I read a couple of verses from Isaiah. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? 
but with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Isaiah almost seems to be saying God can hold the waters in the hollow of his hand. How big is he? No, he's far, far beyond. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? And Isaiah goes on. Peter is appealing to Isaiah, saying to his hearers, you serve a God whose word is living. It's enduring. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go, just like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The persecution Peter's hearers were facing is nothing. Oh, how we need perspective to live with a big picture, not merely the here and the now. I'm fearful we are like many people down through the ages. We live over here at a very, very small point in time. And we say, what's going on? Our world's falling apart. And we become very, very upset. Peter's here as we're going through something. And Peter says, I'm appealing to Isaiah. And Isaiah appeals to Abraham, to Moses, and says, get the big picture. You've been born again by the living, enduring word of God. Our country is divided, we are told. We struggle with immigration. We have political struggles. We have financial struggles and a host of other issues. In the midst of this, Peter reminds us, you've been born again, not of imperishable seed or of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. So in the mess in which Peter's hearers lived, in the mess in which we live, love one another. That's how we make it day by day. Our God is awesome. He's a God of grace. He's a God of glory, and we want to sing together as Travis comes.